What's up, Internet? Welcome to a very special Pals Network Oscar podcast. It's the biggest night in movies, and we got two of the biggest nerds in movies here to uh, talk about it. I'm Andy from the Video Games Pals here with Pete Earth. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh I'm my god! I'm a monster. I, I'm a listeners, monster. I've been hyped to do a podcast with Andy. <laughs> I've never done a podcast with Andy, and he immediately confuses me with a much louder person with a P name. Hey, at least I got the uh, the P name. It's not like I said. And I'm here with Kale. Uh, this is Kale. Oh, that's not good. Like, if you don't listen to our podcast, you're not gonna get these very specific jokes. So whatever. Uh, yeah, we're doing a uh, we're doing a Hollywood based episode. Yeah, welcome to uh, the very first episode of the Hollywood Pals. <laughs> yeah, we'll use a bunch of trademark songs for the intro. It'll be great. Yeah, Hollywood, where dreams come true and no one's in living in poverty. So, uh, over on Video Game Pals, we usually start off with the random question of the week! Oh, jeez, you're aping all peach shit right now. I am. I, I always do that when I jump in for him to host. But I figured oh, it, be your wouldn't, own man. it wouldn't be so random over here to start off just saying, what was your favorite movie you saw this year? Oh, boy. That's a really hard one. I have, like, a top five, but I guess that doesn't count. Gotta pick one. Oh, okay. I've I've been able to narrow it down the last few years. Uh, like 2015, my favorite movie is Ex Machina. Okay. Uh, 2016. Oh, I forgot all the movies that came out in 2016. So I guess that's not helping. But this year, uh, it's between Logan and Blade Runner, and I'm gonna say Logan. Okay, Logan. Which is, I think, the first superhero movie I can remember being nominated for a Best Screenplay Oscar. Logan is the best superhero movie I've ever seen. Wow. Um, I'm very fond of the 1978 Superman film, because I think that's like movie magic at its finest. It's just brimmed with optimism and hope and, and everything like that is icono- like the iconography of the character. Uh Logan's like a 180 from that, but it has so much heart. It's like the American experience with a Canadian guy with claws and an old English guy, but whatever. <laughs> um, it's it's a story about like your relationship to your father and becoming a father in like a Western setting, and it's really an intimate story. And it's 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 like got the it's got the Johnny Cash song at the end, and that like has that kind of that western grit to it that makes it so, so damn good like it's a it's a movie maker's movie okay yeah i di- i get that um i really really dug logan i do have to say though and i'm gonna warn everybody going in now um if you haven't seen any of the movies we talked about this is gonna be a fairly spoiler heavy podcast i think it's 2018 though and these movies yeah. all came out in 2017 true and you've been warned so I'm going to talk about the very last shot of Logan and how it's kind of cheesy. Oh, with the, the cross turning the into cross an X? The cross turning into an X, yeah. And and the little girl giving the speech from the movie Shane? Yes. No, it's, it's, dude, it's, I was saying it's next, not that it's not good. It's just kind of cheesy. I, That's literally I, my only criticism of Logan. 
I sat in front of these three kids who, when I say kids, they're like teenagers, who were stoned out of their fucking mind <laughs> giggling at that scene. And I was just, I felt like an old fucking man, a.k.a. Kale, as I'm sitting there, like, squeezing my fist. I'm like, these fucking kids. Uh, no, I really like that scene. I thought, I mean, comics at the end of the day are cheesy. And people who read comics need to get over that, like, that like because a lot of people try to like make sense of comics where it's like they try to explain how superman can fly and run really fast like it's physically impossible that can't happen his bones would wear out or how cyclops can shoot lasers out of his eyes and they like it, it doesn't matter none of this matters comics is cheesy the end of the movie is sentimental and sentimentality in its very nature is kind of corny and she has lost her father and I it worked it worked for me I thought it was really good James Mangold did a fantastic job writing that movie and directing it I wholeheartedly agree um, again what about you um uh, so in 2017 I want to say the best movie I saw was uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League uh huh no uh-huh, no uh-huh. it was not <laughs> no 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 don't be ashamed of people criticizing your very bad opinion just <laughs> just flaunt it. Um, no, I think my favorite movie last year was probably Baby Driver. Oh, Baby Driver's so good. But I, um, after all the Kevin Spacey stuff came out, I have a really hard time, like, going back to it. Oh, are you one of those people that has a really hard time uh, differentiating, like, an artist from the art kind of thing? Uh, sort of. Um, it's in cases of, like, particular things tied in like in kevin spacey's first scene he says something like oh yeah and i just let him do it because i was blinded with the balls on that kid (laughs) it's like that takes on a new meaning after the kevin spacey like sexually harassing young men scandal i never had a really strong opinion about kevin spacey acknowledge he was a good actor and everything i never watched uh his netflix show uh whatever it's called uh and before that show he had really disappeared from hollywood for like 10 years uh he had like a real renaissance in the same way kurt russell's having now um so i don't have like a personal attachment to him it's not I, like i really like michael fassbender as an actor when i found out he beat the shit out of his girlfriend I was like, oh fuck dude god why uh so like that that doesn't take away my enjoyment of baby driver because while I recognize Kevin Spacey is like a potentially shitty human being, uh, I can differentiate that from his character in that movie because I don't have strong feelings about Kevin Spacey the person. I mean, like in a that is I mean? yeah, that's completely fair, and it's like it's definitely a lot easier to separate out like Kevin Spacey than it is someone like say Woody Allen, who is like so so much of his movie making is about him as a person. I don't know what you mean. I just portray people as honest human beings. <laughs> uh, you know, I've never seen a Woody Allen movie. I've never even seen uh, Midnight in Paris or anything. Oh, Midnight in Paris is great because even though Woody Allen's not in it, you can tell that the main character is Woody Allen. <laughs> I've seen like a lot of like uh, classic cinema is my shit. I've seen a lot of movies between like 1930 and 1955, 1960. I've never seen a Woody Allen movie, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, I really love Baby Driver though. I thought that uh, the way Edgar Wright used music is definitely something that he's been working towards forever. But the 
editing in that movie is fantastic. The soundtrack's great. How do you feel it compares to um, Edgar Wright's other filmography, the rest of his filmography? I like Edgar Wright is maybe my favorite director, and oh okay, I don't think he's got a real miss, at least of the movies I've seen. Um, Hot Fuzz is the best cop movie ever made. No, that's not true. RoboCop is the best cop ma- movie ever made. It's also the best robot movie ever made. You got to pick one. Yes, uh, no, Terminator is the best robot movie ever made. No, I'm sorry. Robots is the best robot movie ever made. <laughs> that one hurt. <laughs> That's Mel Brooks's best role. Oh god! And somehow Ewan McGregor's worst role. I don't know. I was a a big fan of Ewan McGregor in Robots, especially compared to his like butchering of the Obi Wan character. <laughs> and people want a solo Obi Wan movie, but whatever. You know, this is the weirdest people, timeline. People are going to take their Han Solo standalone movie with the kid who was in one scene in Hail Caesar as one of the most iconic characters in cinema. Ah, oh, fuck that movie. I have no intention on seeing it. Ron Howard had to, the studio had to hire like acting coaches for that kid. Like, oh boy. It's it's definitely going to be something. Um, I, I might see it just for Donald Glover's cape. Yeah, I know a lot of people are hyped for Donald Glover. He's got a lot of nerd cred. Um, what set Baby Driver apart from the rest of 2017's films? Um, for me, for, you. for me, it was it was the most fun movie I can think of. Like, it was a movies are fun and are supposed to be fun, and like never took itself too seriously or stopped taking itself seriously. Like, I, it yeah. embraced the fact that the climax of the movie is John Hamm in a police car blaring Queen through the sirens. <laughs> you know, um, my brother often criticizes me for not knowing how to have fun with movies anymore because I'm like, um, I'm like, not really big on like the Marvel Cinematic Universe films just because like they're all cookie cutter and there's nothing particularly distinguishing about most of them. Uh, when I saw Baby Driver, it was the most fun I think I've ever had watching a movie in theaters. Oh, yeah. It's like, if I can come out of a movie and want to drive, like, my shitty little Honda <laughs> Civic, uh, you know, 100 miles an hour, like, that's that's something, right? I was listening to the soundtrack to that movie for weeks after that. Uh, Carla Thomas's Baby, was I was I was stuck in my head forever baby driver by simon and garfunkel stuck in my head forever uh uh the song by uh fuck uh shit what's his name he's the jazz artist he did uh the only jazz song that was ever number one in the billboard top 100 uh um i know i can like think of the song you're talking about but i can't remember what it's called dave rubeck's that's uh oh shit uh no, Blue Ronda Al Turks, Miles Davis. What the fuck? I'm like wasting Press's podcast time trying to think of this. Um, this is the good stuff. This is what people listen to the Pals Network for. Yeah. Uh, Blue on Square Dance. And Blue Ronda Al Turk is. Dude, Dave Brubeck. I got so worked up about that that I was tripping over my words. 
Yeah, on Square Dance. I had that stuck in my head forever, too. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I bought the soundtrack on vinyl, like, the day after I saw the movie. It's great. It's super fun to have on for anything you want to get excited about. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, like, there's something to the notion of a soundtrack to have while you're driving. Um, yep. I've had a lot of soundtracks made up for, you know, any, like, for driving to work or long cross-country road trips or something. And this movie kind of combines the nature of how important a soundtrack is with a movie and having a good soundtrack for while you're driving. And there's, Edgar Wright's choice can't be praised enough, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think it's really funny that him and James Gunn had to coordinate soundtracks to make sure they weren't using yeah. the same 70s hits. Um, James Gunn gets a lot of praise for both Guardians soundtracks and I liked uh, Edgar Wright's a lot more and it's not that I disliked uh, James Gunn's I thought he chose really good uh, singles from the 70s and early 80s Uh, it's just that uh, there was more diversity of offerings here like there was a Run the Jewels song in Goddamn Baby Driver (laughs) was a Run the Jewels song there was a Beck song yeah oh yeah it's great there was a, a T-Rex song, or Trex, as Baby called them. That's right. That's right. Deborah. That's a great song. Yeah. Oh, they, they killed it. Killed it. And John Hamm is a great villain. Oh, yeah. John Hamm should be more villains. I agree. Uh, Baby Driver is actually in my top five favorite movies of the year, for sure. Yeah. Um, and what was the worst movie you saw this year, you think? Uh, worst movie I saw this year. Um... Oh, you know, the, uh, the first couple of movies that came to mind were like Kong Skull Island, which is not a bad movie at all. It's just like, it's schlocky, you know? I really liked um, Kong Skull Island. Um, uh, Alien Covenant sprung, sprang to mind, too. Which half of Alien Covenant? That's right, exactly. But the worst movie I saw this year, and it's, it, I actually I really, really liked 2017 as a year for cinema. I thought this was actually the best year in movies in... I don't know how long it's been. Um, like it was just home run after home run, and it helped that so many major directors produce films this year as well. But the worst movie is probably Zack Snyder's Justice League. And and the thing is, if you listen to the Comics Pals episode where we talk uh, in depth about Justice League, which is a plug to go listen to that, um, I do defend it amidst the haters but it's also because uh i watched it with the lowest of expectations i was drunk when i watched it and the parts that weren't Zack snyder and were joss ween i was entertained by so even though it's a it is a bad movie i I don't want to take that away it's a terrible movie but uh i don't think it's as bad as a lot of other movies um but justice league is probably the worst movie of the year and like i know you're a big superman guy right Oh yeah, Superman's my main squeeze, baby. I feel the same way, and I think Justice League's biggest problem is that it does wrong by Superman. I don't think so. I think that's the most they've done well by him since they've used him in this new cinematic era. Yeah, but that's like that's not a very high bar. <laughs> no, it isn't. What's your beef? What's what's your beef with Superman and Justice League? Um, my beef with Superman and Justice League is that he's barely in it, and yeah. I don't know. I feel like. It's for the best, let's be honest here. <laughs> Sorry? It's for the best. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Every it, scene it feels Superman like Superman is... should be more integral to the formation of the Justice League than Batman starts the Justice League and then Superman shows up and does all the work. 
<laughs> but every scene that he's in, he steals the scene. Um, whether it's him seeing Martha and Lois Lane, uh, whether it's the goofy ass scene where the Flash is taking on him when he's mind controlled or, or disoriented or whatever, or when he's actually saving people amidst this apocalypse evasion of Earth. Uh, and, and he's got like some quips, and Superman's a character that is uh, fit for occasional quips, not like Iron Man where it's just constant bullshit lines uh, written by John Favreau. Um, I he's the least of the problems of that movie. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I also think that man, is it weak stuff that Steppenwolf is the villain for your like big Justice League crossover. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, we go into depth on how much he looks like a PS2 villain, or how much he's a cookie cutter villain. That like, why would anyone remember his name unless you like read the source material? And for good reason. Like, he's the most meaningless villain i think they've ever what there's no clear point of the motive for the characters either for for the villains he's just like this definitely is an infinity war i'm definitely not a thanos ripoff i'm sure that's gonna win some razzies or some shit oh i'm sure but now my follow-up question for justice league because um personally my answer to this is a lot higher than i'd like to admit but how much money would you pay for a cut of Justice League where they didn't edit out Henry Cable's mustache. See, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to be one of those people that's clamoring for the Zack Snyder version of the film. Oh, no. Because there's... there's, there's there, well, I thought you were going to be facetious about it, you know. Uh, no, I want Superman with a mustache. I want Henry Cable with a mustache. Uh, when I saw... Call me... No, when I saw Black Panther, I saw the Mission Impossible 5 trailer that that proudly featured Henry Cavill's facial hair, and all I can think about was Justice League. Uh, I would give up a third of my next paycheck to see that. Yeah, Warner Brothers, if you're listening, give us the mustache cut. It's what the people want. (laughs) Justice League mustache cut. Coming soon to Blu-ray and Laserdisc. Instead of editing Henry Cavill's mustache out, edit it on to everyone else. (laughs) Yeah, I want to see Gal Gadot with Henry Cavill's mustache. Yes, that is what the people want, Warner Brothers. That's right. All right, so... What was your least favorite movie of the year? Uh, you didn't actually it say. It was probably Justice League also. Yeah, fair. Just from, from top to bottom, it was a mess from having two people direct it. It was also a mess yeah. from letting Zack Snyder near it. I don't want to dwell on this too long, but how... How did Zack Snyder get the keys in the kingdom? Like, if you look at his filmography, he did uh, Dawn of the Dead, which is what most people consider is like only a decent movie. He went on to do 300, which is what it is, a schlock action movie that had a big cultural impact uh, for its antiquated memes. Um, then you had, like, Sucker Punch. Which makes no sense as a film. And, and makes no money. <laughs> yeah, true. And... And Watchmen, which was a divisive movie that made less than it probably should have. People inexplicably uh, like Watchmen. Well, people inexplicably like Batman v Superman too, but that, this is what it is. That's true, but like, so we go into two twenty twelve, and and Warner Brothers hand Zack Snyder the keys of the kingdom, and they're like, you know what, you're going to be our guy, and I don't understand it. Like Man of Steel, very divisive, made less money than Iron Man three. And then Batman v Superman, which was like a a, a a critical flop. Yeah, 
and it, it was it was meant to make like they intended to envision a billion dollars and it underperformed their to their expectations same with justice league obviously he's he's on his way out now but like how did he get this far i if i had to guess i'd say it's because of 300 which for everything that 300 is it's a pretty perfect translation of frank miller's vision for 300 yeah to the screen and somebody at warner brothers you know watched 300 decided that the foundational text for their you know comics or their superhero movie franchise was going to be the dark knight returns and said oh we want Zack snyder to do the dark knight returns cinematic universe but we're going to start it with a superman movie can you imagine someone looking at 300 and being like yeah i think that guy can make superman <laughs> that's like watching transformers by michael bay and be like you know what i think this guy can make a bambi movie <laughs> Ooh, you know who I really want to uh, to direct my like chamber, you know, one room, really intense romantic drama, Zack What's Snyder that? and Michael Bay at the same time. But they have to star in it as well. Yes, I would. <laughs> I would spend money on that movie. I believe you would. I believe you would. <laughs> so. We're not just here to talk about what our favorite and least favorite movies were, as fun as that is. Well, that's the show. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Later. Uh, we are also here to talk about the awards this Sunday, the Oscars. Um, I really don't have a lot to say about like the technical or music categories, because I don't know enough about... Like, uh, I will say this, and I won't, I won't belabor this point either. I don't know a lot about that either, but I, I left Blade Runner 2049 thinking, like, holy shit, the sound design of this movie, it, it like, imp, it imparted on me. It, like, it, it, re, like it, it, it left an impression because of how good it was. Oh, yeah. And the, the cinematography, too, for Blade Runner 2049, which... Absolutely. Beautiful movie. And the sound design was flawless. The soundtrack... I can't speak highly, you know. Just use this opportunity to talk about Blade Runner forty nine. I want to go there first. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm all in on Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It was not perfect, but damn, was it good. Denny Villeneuve is my favorite director in Hollywood right now. How do you feel about his Dune? Are you excited? That's the most ambitious project possible. I don't so. I think the thing about adaptations is that they shouldn't be strictly adapted necessarily. I think of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which is a much better movie than Stanley uh, uh, fucking Stephen King's The Shining, okay. because it's its own thing. It's its own artistic representation of this source material. I think if you try too hard to be. Uh, very strict with the source material um it's like what's the point just read the book like it, it, it should be mutually exclusive and, and in some cases it works like grapes of wrath the book and grapes of wrath the film are like both essential american classics um like grapes of wrath is my favorite movie ever and grapes of wrath the book is my favorite like john steinbeck novel you know what i mean oh, yeah. but um 
so if 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 Denny Villeneuve goes into that with his own vision of how he would make Dune, uh, I can get behind it because I think he's really proven himself. I think every I've I've seen almost his, the only film of his filmography I haven't seen is Prisoners, uh, because I've seen Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal, which is my favorite movie of 2013. I think it's extraordinary. It's like an absolute masterclass film. Uh, I saw Sicario, which was a tremendous like oh, Sicario was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know there's a second one coming out this year, but it's not associated with him, but it has uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro, and I'll probably give it a shot anyway. It has some Italian director who's also fairly unknown. I'm kind of interested in that. Um, then he did uh, Arrival, which was my favorite film of 2016. There you go, listeners. I just remembered. Uh, and he's, and uh, Arrival had the same composer on the soundtrack, and he just passed away. Oh, I did not hear that. That's really sad. Yeah. He died two weeks ago. The recording of this, um, and he was really, really good. Um, he was only like in his forties. Um, I think he was Central European. I think he was like from Germany or something. But um, I, I, I can't speak highly enough. Everything he does is a home run. Blade Runner twenty forty nine was his real first. I don't. Even, it's hard to. It's like Blade Runner isn't that mass appeal. Uh, the first original film is very a cult classic. Uh, but it had name recognition, I guess. You know, it's a franchise. Now it's a franchise. Um, and I thought this was better than the original. And I never say that about films that are like soft reboots or distant sequels or anything. Thirty year removed uh, sequels, yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought Denny Villeneuve made a, a better movie than Ridley Scott did in nineteen eighty six, eighty four, eighty two, something like that. Um, it was it was great the the color palette the sound design the acting, um, that's it's a, it might be my favorite it's right next to Logan for my favorite film of the year. Um, yeah, um, I think it's it. interesting to see if this uh, if Blade Runner twenty forty nine gets the treatment that the original Blade Runner does, where there's like six different cuts you can go watch right now of the first Blade Runner. Yeah, there's like. The studio one and Ridley Scott's one and Ridley Scott's second cut and I doubt that will happen because there was such a schism between the the uh, uh, between the company and Ridley Scott that led to that. Whereas yeah, I'm pretty true. sure they gave Denny Villeneuve a lot of uh, creative freedom with this film. They did, yeah, and it made not enough money, but damn, what, yep. was it. It had several of like the best composed shots and some of the best use of color I've ever seen. I he's he's a visionary. I think. Uh, I think this is. I don't, I don't know who to compare him to, um, but I think he has a potential to be a commercial director who makes artistically significant films in a way that a lot of people, in a way we haven't really seen in a long time. And the fact that he does that in a like working in genre the way he does is really cool too like yeah exactly like i can't think of any other director who's had two sci-fi movies get a ton of oscar nominations no it's typically a neglected genre yeah and like Sicario in that regard was a, like a crime thriller oh man that was that that's like oscar bait not oscar bait but it's a movie that will get oscar attention that kind of film and yeah that's fair it just a sword Sorry? It's just sword. Sicario? Oh, yeah. 
so suspenseful. It was it was crazy. Um, I am really excited to watch this guy's career take off. And I yeah. Hope, I hope that Dune makes money and they let him keep making these sort of high concept, big budget films. Yeah, he's he's like what Christopher Nolan wishes he was. That's what I usually say because Christopher Nolan makes movies like Interstellar and. Uh, Inception, which sound uh, like high concept, but really they're just concepts that lend themselves to summer blockbusters because of what where, where you can take it. And he he thinks of of himself as like a Stanley Kubrick, but he's he's not really that. He's like he's like the summer blockbuster version of Stanley Kubrick. And Denny Villeneuve in a way is like that actual vision realized to me yeah um i think that's a a pretty fair comparison um i i do like chris nolan i think interstellar i don't think he's bad yeah he's good interstellar is a good movie that like sort of highlights every single thing he does poorly interstellar is like a scott snyder comic it's a good comic it's a good film conceptually three-fourths of it is a is good and it fails the landing yeah um, I like that. That's a good metaphor. It carries. <laughs> Chop full of them. Okay. So, um, do you have anything else that you want to talk about that's not nominated for big stuff? We talked about Baby Driver. We talked about uh, Blade Runner. Wow. We just uh, talked about it and you forgot. Yeah, it is. We are recording this at midnight on a Tuesday, a Wednesday. So, cut us a little bit of slack, but uh, Atomic Blonde was really good. The sound, uh, the the music of that film was really good. The action was it was probably the best action movie of the year. Um, it was super stylized. I like the setting. Uh, in 2017, 2018, we don't have a lot of movies that take place in 1989 East Berlin. That's a that's a great uh, that's a great setting for a film now. Oh yeah, and Charlie's Theron's great. She is the sexiest woman in the world, and James McAvoy. James is the McAvoy, sexiest man in the world. <laughs> he's a, he's definitely up there. Um, I don't know if I'd go best action movie of twenty seventeen, just because John Wick two also came out. I didn't see John Wick one or two. Oh damn! So if you yeah. if you enjoyed Atomic Blonde, um, I'd say check out a, definitely at least the first John Wick because the. Um, the two dudes who wrote and directed John Wick, the first one went their separate ways, and one of them went on to direct Atomic Blonde, and one of them went on to direct John Wick 2. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. My brother speaks so negatively on John Wick that it's... it's, it's, it's it, it, Really? He Yeah, he really hates it, and he loves like 80s action films and stuff. That's his jam. And I don't know, I just haven't gotten around to see it because like, he had spoken so poorly on it, and... Um, he he compares it to like Boondock Saints two in its cult following, but in being a comparably shitty film. I've never seen that either, but that's like his opinion. That hurts me deeply. Um, yeah, John Wick, the first one, I think is the action movie that we needed in twenty fifteen when it came out, and I think it's great that it's had the sort of influence it's had, in it um, allowed things like Atomic Blonde to get made and action movies to slow down the camera work so that you could follow things that are happening 
Yeah. And yeah. the Michael Bay one for it or one shot for 30 frames, another shot for 10. Give you a yeah. headache whiplashing around, you know, CGI transformers punching each other. Um, I wanted to underscore uh, the War of the Planet of the Apes. I think this was a good film trilogy, um, especially in the middle one. Uh, I think that was Dawn. I thought that, like, the real thing is Andy Serkis's acting as Caesar is so good. And if there's an actor who's neglected as best actor, I think it's actually Andy Serkis who can bring so much life to a mo-capped character like oh yeah god damn andy circus is as a primarily mocap actor not eligible to win a lot of oscars yeah and i'm not gonna say that you know when next year's oscars roll around he should be nominated for black panther where he was actually on screen but no and he wasn't in the film very long if if you wanted to like throw him a nomination for a movie he didn't actually deserve as a way of making up to it for Gollum and caesar i would understand uh dunkirk was i i thought that was a good film uh the sound design was really good in that film as well actually because uh the the sound influenced this claustrophobia you felt the entire duration of the film because um i think what the movie does so eloquently is it really portrays the anxiety of being in a uh, battle conflict like it illustrates where ptsd really comes from because these are stressful situations that human beings are not meant to go through yeah um i think dunkirk is the movie i'm most glad i saw for the first time like in a theater this year and not like catching it on my tv now i saw i didn't see in theaters i missed it Uh, i saw on tv and i really i i was really stressed out watching it and I think the ending of the movie is really bad, actually. Oh, um, really? I do. I think it was really like intense British nationalism at a time of like fucked up Brexit politics right now. But uh, I will dial that back and say I think this is probably the second or third best movie of Christopher Nolan's career, next to like Dark Knight and um, uh, uh, fuck, uh, help me out. What's his um, most famous movie? 2005. Memento? Memento. Yeah, there's... I, I think... I've actually seen every movie of his filmography. Wow, yeah. Um, Even his first movie, Following, which came out in 1998. I've never seen Following, and it's, and it's been forever since I've seen Memento, but I think I've seen everything else he's made, too. But th- this is the best movie he's done since Dark Knight. Which oh, for sure. Me. Yeah. Um, Get Out was really good too. Uh, there's been a real renaissance the last five years of horror films with movies like um, It Follows, The Babadook, Witch, which was incredible. I never saw uh, Witch. Oh, it's incredible. You'd recommend Probably, them? Oh yeah, that was one of the best movies of 2016. Um, Get Out follows in this tradition. It's Jordan Peele's uh, directorial debut. He's done doing on-screen shit for the most part. You said, uh, and it's great. Um. It's inc- it's a really good horror movie. Yeah, uh, it's it an incredible movie made all the more impressive by the fact that he's a first time director slash like this is his first feature film he's written too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, there's a meaningful, meaningful, meaningful story to be told. I live in Philadelphia, and I saw it in a prim- primarily black theater, and it really enhanced the experience of it because like 
this is shit that's extremely relevant in 2017. An audience had a visceral reaction to seeing this shit, especially the final scene in the movie when his um, his friend pulls up in the cop car and like everyone in the audience, like the implication is obviously that it was going to be a white cop who was going to fuck over our protagonist and the relief from the audience when it turned out to be his friend. Oh, yeah. I like I saw it in you know new jersey suburbs which are primarily white with a bunch of white people and it was still like it was a a different palpable tension in the room of just like oh god this is it hit home in a very real place that was different yeah and i I think it's really cool how many things get out can say to people Exactly. Yeah, it was. It's it's perhaps the most culturally significant film of 2017. Oh yeah, I I would definitely think so. And looking at the uh, the nominees for best picture, I don't think it's gonna win. Is it nominated? It is nominated. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's not gonna win, but it, I'm glad it was nominated. It's got sort of an outside shot. Um, but it's probably going to be The Shape of Water or Three Billboards. I don't think a horror film has ever won Best Picture. I think you're right. But Jordan Peele's also you can write nominated in and tell for us Best Director. Wrong. Yeah. That's good. I like that he's nominated for Best Director. That's cool. Um, what, about, what, what about Florida Project? Should we save that? Um, Florida Project is only nominated in like the the directing acting writing categories for willem dafoe who don't get me wrong was the best part of the florida project i don't know no, i don't opinion. think that's true no i don't think it was the best part really no 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 I, the mom was the best part oh i really i really like willem dafoe he's but, great he's a yeah. tremendous actor <laughs> you see him in any lars von trier movie and you're like fuck <laughs> um but no it's the mom and the little girl they like they steal the whole show because they're completely authentic like uh, from my understanding they like the, the the mother was pulled out of like a walmart in florida like and like they found her in a walmart like oh yeah and this movie really portrays american poverty in like both like a condemnation of like how shitty it is but in a really like and and like there are things that are really frustrating about the mom but and it's really sympathetic at the same time because of how real it is yeah um i admittedly saw the larder project and was like half asleep during it because i went to see it way too late so it's fuzzy and i'm refreshing my memory now but okay so the, the florida project i, I think oh i don't want to go for, over yeah. the plot of most of these movies but i think florida project is kind of obscure in the landscape of 2017 movies florida project is about a mom who a single mom who is uh kind of fresh out of jail so she's having a hard time finding a legitimate job and she's living in a orlando hotel in the shadows of disney with her daughter and the movie's basically about their struggle to survive and this hotel is basically a, a makeshift uh, apartment complex for people on welfare and it basically is commentary on how disney is supposed to be the happiest place on earth but it casts a looming shadow and everyone that basically lives outside of disney like it's not really a place that people are supposed to live because it's all traffic of you know commercial enterprise like commercial businesses and stuff 
and it's mostly through the uh, lens of the little girl in the movie who eventually gets I'm not I don't want to spoil this one because this one is um a little more uh indie uh but it it's really really touching it's a really touching movie the little girl is like she feels like a little girl not like a hollywood little girl like she feels like a child and i i left it feeling something in a way that a lot of the movies this year i didn't really have like a real you know meaningful relationship with so if you haven't seen the florida project you should go see it yeah um i really enjoyed it it was maybe the best like from a child's perspective movie i've seen ever yeah yeah like, that's probably I, I might be in the same boat next it, to home alone obviously yeah oh home alone 2 lost in new york though that's right it's a grid system motherfucker <laughs> thanks john mulaney yeah <laughs> uh yeah no it's great what about what about the phantom thread i wasn't crazy about phantom thread but i also don't really like paul thomas anderson movies what the fuck yeah i know i'm a monster um you, you don't really like paul thomas anderson movies no he's like he's a little too heady for me um <sighs> and like You're killing me i don't know his movies come off as sort of self-important um i think there will be blood is the best movie of the last like 40 years Ooh, that's i don't know if i can get behind that I think it's the best movie since, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay. Um, That's how good I think that movie is. I thought it was was really good, but it was... When did it win Best Picture? Like, 2007. 2007? It did not win Best Picture. Oh, it did not win Best Picture. It did not. It was nominated, but it did not win. The only only major award it won was Daniel Day-Lewis winning Best Actor. Oh, okay. And that made sense. What did it lose to? I don't remember off the top of my head, but I remember it's not as good of a movie, that's for sure. Was it was it No Country for Old Men? Yeah, and that's not as good. And oh, that's a great movie, but it's not I as think good. No Country for Old Men is the best movie this millennium. So, well, shit, 20, 2007. What a movie! What a year! Two thousand seven was a great year for movies. Yeah. So maybe twenty seventeen is the best year since two thousand seven, which I can actually probably get behind that thought. Um, what about The Master? I never saw The Master. It's fucking great. It's basically uh, a loose adaptation of the life of the founder of Scientology. Um, really? Shit, what's his name? L. Ron Hubbard? Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, that's right. It's a very loose adaptation of the story of L. Ron Hubbard forming uh, the Church of Scientology. And it stars Joaquin Phoenix and Philbert Seymour Hoffman. And uh, it's a great movie. I still haven't seen Inherent Vice, which is his most recent film before The Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread is a great movie. The first three-fourths of the movie is a good Hollywood film. Like, it's, 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 it feels like the movie Brooklyn that came out last year. It's just, it's a good, it's a competently made film. It's the last 15 minutes of it that turn it into a good move from a good movie into a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And it's really fucked up and it's really good. And that ending kind of makes the film. Um, and it's a great performance, obviously from Daniel day Lewis, who's like the greatest actor of all time. Uh, it's ostensibly his last performance too. He is talking right. about retiring after this one. 
Well, he's extremely method. He does a movie once every five years, and he has to like go out of his way to like learn. Like he became, um, what's a person who sews for a profession called a tailor? Yeah. Yeah. So he learned how to tailor. That's insane. And yeah, he, when he was he, in, he gets great performances out of it. But I don't know all these like stories about method actors. And the shit they go through and put themselves through. Yeah, he he broke his he broke something while making my left foot, and like, cause cause he was uh, paralyzed in that film, or yeah. like his one one leg was. He actually physically like harmed himself in the making of that film, and that was like his first major role back in like nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Oh God. But like. Yeah. I think my. My favorite story about method acting is uh, Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier did Marathon Man together in, like, the 80s. That was the movie they were in, right? And uh, one day at the beginning of filming, they're doing a scene where they're, like, running or something, and Dustin Hoffman shows up out of breath, exhausted, and is like, I ran, like, six miles this morning to get ready. What'd you do? And Laurence Olivier looks at him and goes, it's called acting. That, that sounds about right. Lawrence Olivier comes from the classic age of cinema where the personality oh, yeah. is larger than the character. Um, that checks out. Um, uh, another movie I wanted to highlight was The Big Sick. I liked The Big Sick. I did too. I thought it was, I think, what, Judd Apatow produced it, right? Judd Apatow produced it. Uh, Camille Nanjiani wrote it, starred in it. With his wife. Yes. Well, because it's based off his actual relationship off, to his wife. Yeah. Uh, it was surprisingly really good in that movie. Yeah. Sorry. Do you know who's surprisingly really good in that movie? I don't, but I have a sneaking suspicion you're going to tell me. Ray Romano. <laughs> oh, Ray Romano. He's, he's surprisingly really good. Yeah, I I did enjoy Ray as not Ray, but. Ray. Ray Romano should play more like authentic New York dads. Isn't that what he does? Like, if you need an authentic New York dad for an event, you call it Ray. <laughs> I guess so. Ray, listen, uh, I've been telling this girl that I'm from New York. I'm really from Boston. I need someone to convince her. <laughs> I, I I guess that's what everybody loves Raymond is right? Is him being an authentic New York dad? Yeah. So fair enough. And an authentic New York brother. Big sick made me feel something. Yeah, that's a there's a joke. <laughs> uh, Big sick made me feel things. I got really weepy eyed watching that movie because uh, it's really inspirational. <laughs> yeah, I I liked it. Um, I look forward to more movies from Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He his profile went up big time this year. Oh yeah, it's been a big year for him. I think he's gonna be the next person to be too big for Silicon Valley, but that's another story for another time. Him and Thomas Melditch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would uh, you think? Uh, oh, you didn't see the Disaster Artist, right? I did not see the Disaster Artist. No. Oh, I have mixed feelings in that movie. Uh, I liked it, but at the same time, it's like throwing the joke at you, like explaining it to you. And also, this is a movie about a guy who like broke his back to try to like make a movie, and like the room, I mean. And this is a movie about Hollywood elitist making fun of a guy breaking his back trying to make a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I 
went back and forth on if I wanted to see the Disaster Artist for exactly that reason. Like, I know we get together and we watch The Room to make fun of The Room. Sure. I actually saw it in theaters last summer with, like, in the classic experience of seeing The Room. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've done that, too. It's great. It's, oh, hi, Mark. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, there's a video on, of me on Instagram in front of a, a fake set piece outside of the Burbank theater I saw it in uh, doing that. So. Uh, and, like, I know Tommy was always in on the joke, but it just, like. Kind of? Yeah. It it sort of rubbed me the wrong way that James Franco was, like, coming in and just, like, becoming this guy. Yeah, and I don't know. He, it, 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 was, it was enjoyable. It was a good movie. It made me laugh. James Franco did a really good job of playing Tommy, but the, the background kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. It rubbed me the wrong way. I think I would agree with you there. Um, uh. And then the uh, the last one I wanted to talk about, I guess, well, I guess this counts. Like, call me by your name. That's probably nominated for best picture, right? That is, in fact, nominated for best picture. Yeah. All right. So I guess we can just go into the best picture stuff. Okay. Um, Unless there's other films you want to talk about before. Well, uh, I did actually. Call me by your name um, is up for, and odds are right now I'm. Pulling my odds from Vanity Fair, which has done a pretty good job of compiling, like, indicator awards and saying this is who we think is going to win the Oscars and they have a pretty good track record. Uh, Vanity Fair thinks Call Me By Your Name is only going to win for Best Adapted Screenplay, where it is nominated against The Disaster Artist and Logan. Um, If you're an Oscar voter, which of those three are you voting for? Call me by your name. Yeah. Call, call me by your name. Had the. Call me by your name hit me in a way no other movies hit me in years. Yeah, I was not expecting Timothy Chalamet. Is that how you say his last name? Yeah, I think so. To be the revelation that he is in Call Me by Your Name. Logan made me misty eyed at the end, and it hit me in a way. It hit me. Hit me. Florida Project hit me. Like a few of these movies. I, I did have an emotional effect on me. Call Me By Your Name took me on a roller coaster. Um, the beginning of the movie, it makes it seem like it, it doesn't really it it, it 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 kind of just lures lures you in. Like the beginning of the movie is um, Army Hammer, who is this grad student who's in Italy studying like Renaissance archaeology or some shit and he's staying with his Italian family and he's like, he's a, he's a fucking in great shape, early eighties, like handsome ass motherfucker. And he's charismatic as hell. He's got a great voice. Um, like everyone knows a guy like this. Like he's, he's just the charisma is oozing from him. And like, it feels like a period piece in like a lighthearted way. Like you, you don't take it super seriously. But then, when you like the relationship between him and the professor's son that he's saying with, who's seventeen years old, begins to unfold. It makes you really uncomfortable because he's seventeen years old, and like it, it, it feels really, it feels wrong, and that's like deliberate too. Yeah. And so the the second act of the movie kind of makes you really uncomfortable, but then 
when you really flesh out their relationship, like it, you really care for their relationship. And the Sufjan Stevens soundtrack really helps influence that. And with that said, Sufjan Stevens should win best song this year. Um, and then he's performing at the Academy Awards too. Oh, is so. he? That's, I believe that's so. Really cool. Yeah, I guess all the best song people get it. Or um, like get to perform. Yeah. And and at the very end of the movie, there's this speech from the professor to his son that every kid wishes their father would give them when they're involved in a fleeting romance that's really hot. And it like it really hit me in like a real hard way because it was so personal um fuck call me by your name was just yeah that was awesome i didn't know very much about it going in i knew it was supposed to be good and i knew that there was like a little bit of pushback about having two straight guys be like the big gay romance of the year oh that makes sense yeah i didn't even think about that but like i i don't know what i was expecting but i got so much more than whatever it was out of calling by your name yeah man that that's definitely that ah and and the, and the cinematography is really good there's a lot of shots that are like kind of experimental like they invert colors and stuff um like this is this is this movie is for like an academy award standpoint like this is the movie to me that should win best picture i i wouldn't be upset if it did um i i think now that we've gotten into best picture though we have to talk about the fish monster in the room right so let's get into it (laughs) i really i love the shape of water and it is by all accounts the favorite to win on sunday for best picture and is it really yeah um and guillermo del toro's basically got best director on lock that's good if there's a director who deserves best director from a career standpoint at this point it's him yeah like pacific rim really just blew me away you know pacific rim is a very good movie i i love pacific rim um but hellboy hellboy 2 pan's labyrinth pan's labyrinth yeah, that's 2007 that's, too. Jesus Christ. Can we just release all of the movies from 2007 again every like five years? Yeah. Just like cancel Hollywood or release in 2007. It's November. Uh, you know, uh, what's it? There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men are both going to come out. It's going to be great. Everybody's going to love it. Guillermo del Toro has this, has this whimsical way of combining fantasy with reality and that's true of pan's labyrinth that's true of hellboy and that's true of the shape of water or as i like to call it the fish fucking movie (laughs) i think that's the subtitle right the shape of water the fish fucking movie this is a movie that's set in 1950s america in the midst of a cold war paranoia and it encompasses that that vibe really well in both a real and fantasy way and it juxtaposes that with a fish man uh a amazon fish god 
and Michael Shannon being creepy. It's great. Michael Shannon's amazing in this movie. Oh yeah. I don't want to like take Michael Shannon's performance away by just reducing it to creepy. It's he's he's one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood right now, and I I feel like Man of Steel had a big part of that. You don't think that his uh, uncredited performance in Batman v Superman was redemption? <laughs> I never even saw that fucking movie. If what was if we were if I was in this podcast. Uh, there's a few of these superhero movies I wouldn't have seen, but I had to go see because of the podcast. And I'm sure if we were doing the podcast in 2014 or 2015, whenever that movie came out, I would have had you, to see uh, it. You dodged a bullet on that one. Yeah. Um, Shape of Water is a very good movie. It Actually, I, I watched it, and I had this realization during the scene where uh, it's like a fantasy scene where our protagonist, the, the mute woman with gills, is dancing with the fish monster in a very classic Hollywood cinema kind of way. It's this weird subversion of like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire as they're like, you know, waltzing across this this beautiful stage. That I was like, this film like encompasses everything I really love because I really like I said before in this special, I really love the golden age of cinema. I love sci-fi shit. I love Guillermo del Toro. I love nineteen fifties America aesthetic, like Cold War and all. I just like I love it's a it's a powder keg of 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 intrigue. I really uh, wish we had video for this podcast just so I could like capture the look you had on your face talking about this movie for a second right there <laughs> because Sorry. no it was great it's that look is what i think the best part of the shape of water is is it's every second of that movie you can feel the love guillermo del toro has for cinema for his characters for his audience even yeah it's guillermo del toro loves you for being there as much as he loves movies for being there yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, and that's true. He, and he he himself is a very he's very fond of nineteen fifties cinema, and that really reflects here. Um, it's a great movie. It's a it's a silly concept. Uh, a, a, a woman falls in love with a fish man, and they fuck. <laughs> that's a real oversimplification, but it, it 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 turned out so good. And if this won Best Picture, I wouldn't be upset at all. Yeah, it is. Um... By all accounts, it's the leader, barring um, surprise showing from Get Out and Three Billboards, is like on its tail, but not particularly. What What did you love about Shape of Water? Since you think it's your um, best picture, honestly, I I love the performances in it, and I don't think that Sally Hawkins is gonna win Best Actress, but I would probably vote for her for Best Actress just for like she's not deaf sally hawkins is a a woman who can speak and i know it's kind of shitty and ableist to be like well the, the character's not, not deaf. Deaf. Uh, she's not mute that's yeah she's just mute yeah. i know it's kind of shitty to be like oh wow look she did all this like disabled person stuff but like <laughs> sally hawkins does like it's the equivalent of playing a game of baseball with an arm tied behind your back. It was, it's incredible. And Sally Hawkins and Doug Jones, who is the fish man is also really good in just like 
the the acting, the directing, Guillermo del Toro's love of everything that happens in and around the shape of water comes through and it just like it made me feel good in a way that not a lot of movies can but the best movies do and it like i think it made me feel good in a way that a lot of other best pictures or nominees don't try to and they try to make you think or like be sad or feel really intense emotions but like towards the end of the shape of water it was just like big goofy grin because i got to experience it you know you know i remember in the, while watching it i was like because it was clear that she was developing feelings for this fish man while she was feeding it fried eggs and i remember thinking like oh she's she wants to fuck this fish man and like when it became clear and clear that's where it was going i was like oh my god she's actually gonna fuck the fish man <laughs> like pretty like they they went as far as they could with it um and to the fact where like her co-workers like asking how it worked and they like give a reenactment where the penis is <laughs> which was fucking hysterical um so it starts out with this goofy ass concept of like being like borderline like fetishes fetish fetish e to like they legitimize it you like you want them to like run away together and have a happy life yeah so it's not kink shaming yeah it legitimized it yeah legitimized fish fucking is that's right it's the theme of movies this year uh yeah yeah go on finish that thought i was gonna say that's like that's what dunkirk's about right (laughs) that's right it's about it's about fish fucking um i guess justice league is with aquaman churchill couldn't get with a fish and had to fight hitler for his right to get with a fish Today I will eat fish sticks. Did I say fish sticks or fish sticks? You'll never know. Actual well, I quote. Guess we know now. Yeah. <laughs> no one was thinking he said fish sticks, Winston. Um, if she doesn't win Best Actress, you got to think it's gonna be Saoirse Ronan, though, right? Um, I think it's gonna be Frances McDormand because she's won just about every other Best Actress award. I know um, you didn't see three right. billboards, but so tell us about it. Um, she's incredible. Mark McDonough is a a very interesting uh, writer director. He did In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. If you ever saw either of those, um, so Mark McDonough was for a long time like this avant garde playwright and really big in theater, and. Then he started making movies, and now he's too good for theater, but he still writes like he's writing for the theater. So, like, every... All the major characters in Three Billboards get, like, this big fucking monologue. And Frances McDormand is incredible, and um, her performance as a an angry, grieving mother is, like really prescient not prescient that's not the right word it's really appropriate for the moment we're at with regards to um sort of feminist anger and and things coming to a head and boiling over and i i think she will win it just because she's won everything else and 
that's sort of how award season works. If one I, person wins all the awards, they tend to win the Oscar too. I heard that movie is very Blue Lives Matter friendly. I I think that's a an oversimplification. So Sam Rockwell, Sam Rockwell's character is a, a corrupt, racist ass cop, and he doesn't quite get a redemption arc per se. He is he starts out as like this caricature of a villain cop and gets shaded in to be like oh he's a real person. And I think that um to say it's very blue lives matter friendly as it were is an oversimplification of that which is it's hard just having this monologue cuz you haven't seen the movie. Right. Um, you can, no, you can spoil it. It's fine. Okay, so um, the three billboards, Frances McDormand's daughter was raped and murdered. And she buys these three billboards that say, uh, raped while dying, still no arrests, how come, Chief Willoughby? And the chief is Woody Harrelson's character, who's also great. But the deputy, um, Sam Rockwell, gets really personally offended about this. And, like, starts harassing her, and eventually she burns down the police station, and he gets fired. But he has a, like, a realization of, like, he starts to understand why she's angry, and that, like, it's not his job as a cop to stand up for other cops. It's his job as a cop to do the right thing. And so he he finds a guy like talking about doing something similar and like attempts to catch him but it turns out oh that wasn't the guy like when Francis McDormand's daughter died he was in Iraq but the movie ends with him and Francis McDormand setting off to go find and murder this dude who raped and killed some other woman damn yeah and a lot of the criticism around Sam Rockwell's character is he gets an unearned redemption arc Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I saw. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I don't think it's quite redemption so much as it is people are complicated. Even bad people are complicated. I don't think you can have a redemption arc when the movie ends with your two main characters going to murder a person. Yeah. Did, did, did you see The Darkest Hour? I did. I, I thought it was sort of all... Gary Oldman's performance and there wasn't much else to the movie but Gary Oldman's he's performance like, was great he's like the favorite for best actor right oh yeah I think it should be um, Timothy Chalamet but he's 22 and Gary Oldman is Gary Oldman and has still never won an Oscar yeah yeah that's true so it will probably end up being Gary Oldman and uh, there's a lot of press around that movie um I, I i can see it yeah uh did you like that movie i i didn't hate it um i didn't love it it was it was a decent movie i don't know if i'd go best picture for it we're talking it's still darkest hour right yeah yeah i i don't know if i'd go best picture but it was it was a decent movie and then the last major film I think we haven't talked about is uh, uh, Lady Bird. 
Yeah. Um, did you see it? I did. That's a, that's it. I haven't seen, I, I, I always considered, uh, last billboard and ladybird, the two big films of yeah. the year. Um, and they're the two I haven't seen. And oh, I've no. seen just about every other movie we've talked about. And those are the only two I haven't seen. Um, I really want to see it. I really like Saoirse Ronan a lot. I think she's a great actress. Um, and the plot really seems like it's up my alley too. Um, so I'm bummed I haven't seen yeah. it. What do you think of it? I, I'm a sucker for a good like coming of age movie. Um, it's really good. I do think it's a little weird that Greta Gerwig expects us to believe that Saoirse Ronan is 17 the whole time. Yeah, she's like pushing 30, I think. Yeah, it's like, and she's great in it. Don't get me wrong, but every once in a while that thought would pop into my head like there's no way she is 17 um it was good it was um it was a small movie in a good way like she has a year where she like learns stuff about herself and comes to accept her mom and like why her mom is the way she is although did you see i no, I haven't seen I Tanya oh, either. Oh, no. That's what I get for putting my list of movies you saw away. I, I wrote everything down while you were telling me before and then forgot to look back to them. Um, well, you asked, you asked me what ones I wanted to talk about that I haven't really gone over. And uh, the only one from that list I didn't talk about was Wind River. Uh, but pretty much, I, I pretty much covered everything else I had seen. Cool. Yeah. Um, I didn't see Wind River, so tell me about it. Wind River is stars the Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye from the Avengers, Elizabeth Olsen and Jeremy Renner. And it takes place in like North Dakota. Like it takes place in the like borders of Canada, basically. And it is about an Indian woman or a Native American woman rather, who is um uh raping killed in the middle of like nowhere, basically. Her body is found frozen. Um and the movie is basically about Jeremy Renner, who's not a cop. He is a state-hired uh, game hunter that basically tries to keep populations under control for, like, mountain lions and wolves and things like that. Um, and he's friends with the father of the daughter who was raped and murdered, and he takes it upon himself to basically find out who's responsible for this. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is an FBI agent who's called because basically the situation warrants the feds to come in. And it's basically about how this guy is so good at tracking and like that's where his expertise comes in. But she's also like a federal cop, so they had to work together, kind of. Um, the movie is really about how serious of a problem um, in the uh, Native American women being raped and killed is in this in this country because of the nature of the relationship between the United States government and Native American cultures and reservations. Most of them go undocumented. And it's a it's a it's a it's an epidemic. Uh, it's a good movie. John Barenthal's in it. He's good. Uh, the main problem with the movie is the white savior thing because Jeremy Renner is oh, there yeah. to solve the problems of Native Americans. That that does seem a little meh. yeah. Uh, and that's very apparent. But is a it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. It's a good movie. Cool. Um, so. I know we didn't really talk about best animated picture. Uh, I haven't seen any animated movies this year. Not a single one. You saw Lego Batman, you said, right? Oh, I forgot about Lego Batman. All right, I saw one so, animated movie this year. So Coco probably should win. 
Um, I want to see that. I like the the Day of the Dead like Latin flair of it. Uh, I just haven't seen it. Yeah, it was it was really good. Um, and a best animated feature is basically the did Pixar put out a movie this year category. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's absurd that The Boss Baby and Ferdinand are nominated for Oscars. And Lego Batman is not. He he. Well, B- Boss Baby is part of one of the most influential trilogies in film history. Um, that starts out with Boss Baby is the first movie of the trilogy, which moves on to Baby Driver, which is the middle movie of the trilogy, which ends in the movie Drive, which is the last movie of the trilogy. Oh, here so, I was thinking it was going to be Baby Driver into Driving Miss Daisy. And... No, no, <laughs> no. That's that that's that's part of the Drive cinematic universe. Oh, okay. Okay. That. Yeah, that's just a, a parallel film to those three. It's not part of the main trilogy. It's like Rogue One is not really uh, part of the Star Wars uh, saga. It's just a it's a parallel film to that. And that's what Driving Miss Daisy is. And the movie Taxi Driver is also another parallel, but it's not part of the actual. And Taxi is another one, too. Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, does the Taxi TV show have anything to do with it? No, uh, unfortunately, that does not. Uh, Danny DeVito's character—that's uh, actually just a prequel to the movie, to the TV show. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, okay, okay. And the movie Twins. Twins. That should win Best Picture every year because no one's ever made a better movie. No, in fact, they should just remake it with a new concept. Like Shaquille O'Neal should be one, and his brother should also be Danny DeVito. Really, Twins works with anybody and Danny DeVito. That's right. The boss baby character. <laughs> is, it, is it like a Roger Rabbit scenario where they CGI the boss baby? Yes, into absolutely. Yeah. It's also Alec Baldwin. Oh man, that would be that would be the best best picture. Um, I liked Lego Batman a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. I like the way they pick, make fun of. Uh, the Batman mythology and the Batman fan base. I like the way they portray the Batman and Joker's relationship as being mildly homoerotic, and I really I like that a lot. Um, it was a lot of fun. I liked this more than a Lego movie, as a matter of fact. Really? I did, yeah. I, I thought the Lego movie was just fine. I thought the Lego movie was a, a revelation in animated movies. Um... And I thought Lego Batman was really good, and I think it's a a damned shame that neither of them is even nominated for an Oscar. And I think that um, Will Arnett's Batman might be my favorite Batman. I mean, he's good. He's better than a lot of the live-action ones, that's for sure. Um, he's no Kevin Conroy, but uh, he's... To pull a quote from The Dark Knight, he's not the Batman we deserve, but he's the Batman we need. It's true. Although, you could say the same thing about Val Kilmer. Or George Clooney and his bat nipples. George Clooney's bat nipples are great. Okay? Great. He had his nipples surgically altered to look like the bat emblem in real life. I want that to be true so bad. Someone proved me wrong. Uh, you heard him here. We'll uh, we'll donate ten dollars to the charity of your choice if you can find us George Clooney's bat nipples. <laughs> Maybe as long as it's a good charity. 
Yeah. Uh, the us-approved charity of your choice. So really the charity of our choice. That's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you want to donate $10 to the Comics Pals charity, uh, we'd be greatly appreciated. Okay. Um, let's see. Is there anything else that we need to talk about movies-wise? We talked about directors and pictures and actors and screenplays. Is there any other... Uh, on? underappreciated films you want to mention underappreciated films i want to mention um not really like so it wasn't eligible because it came out this year but despite the fact that it holds a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes paddington 2 almost certainly won't be nominated for any oscars and that's a damn shame do you know what movie i really 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 wanted to see this year that i never got around to seeing rigsby bear oh my god me too I I've heard nothing heard but great things. I things. love Kyle yeah. Mooney. Kyle Mooney is incredible. But, uh, yeah, I just never got around to it. So I think we should have a Brigsby Bears Pals where we, you know. Oh, that'd be good. Get on Skype, watch it, and uh, do like an MST3K thing. Oh, like a live. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea a lot. Except it, I guess it doesn't work because it has to be like a bad movie. Brigsby yeah, that's Bears true. Probably a good movie. Yeah, probably. Um. I mean, obviously, Annihilation just came out, and that's a movie I really, really, really want to see. Uh, Ooh, that's yeah. by the guy who did Ex Machina and has Natalie Portman. Those are two of my favorite things in the world. Um, and I hear there's a scene. So, in how movie do you feel about in... the Phantom Menace? Because like it has Natalie Portman and George Lucas made Ex Machina, so I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. <laughs> <laughs> now this is podcasting. <laughs> That's the soundbite of the episode right there, my man. Uh, um, I guess the last thing we should do is give our predictions for the Academy Awards. Okay. Um, what do you think? I think we get Shape of Water wins Best Picture. Um, Guillermo del Toro for Best Director. I'm picking all the easy ones. Uh, Francis McDormand and Gary Oldman. Um... Allison Janney is probably going to win Best Supporting Actress for I, Tonya. Please, I, please don't joke about I, Tonya this Christmas. That's a comedy bang-bang joke. I have not listened to enough comedy bang-bang. I feel like I'm letting you down here. <laughs> Go on. Um, Sam Rockwell might win or Willem Dafoe, Best Supporting Actor. Wouldn't be really shocked either way. But I think, all in all, it's been a great year for movies and... I'm looking again over these awards and like, I don't really matter what, or I don't really care what wins because everything's good. Like I, I don't have super strong opinions the way I did a couple years ago where like the Revenant, which was a bad movie, won a bunch of awards. That is not a bad movie. It's a pretty good movie. I though, don't, don't really care for um, Alejandro in Really? He's a pretty good director. I think he is a a noisy director who gets in the way of his own movies a lot. He's a what was the movie he did before The Revenant? Birdman. Birdman fucking rules. Birdman fucking rules. But Birdman's a very good script with two excellent performances. Tom Hardy is great in The Revenant. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but but Leo's not. I, uh, yeah, I know. Leo trudging through the snow for two hours and grunting isn't acting. 
Is there a more overrated actor in the entire world than Leonardo DiCaprio? When's he gonna win his Oscar? Memes. Yeah, it's like if I don't think Leo's ever deserved an Oscar. No. The closest like, he ever came was Django Unchained. He lost to a different guy in that movie. Who was the better actor in that movie? Yes, that is true. I think he almost won for The Aviator. That's that's the one I hear people getting mad about, is that Jamie Foxx won for Ray because Ray Charles died like three months before the Oscars. Aviator is a pretty good movie, too. Yeah. I think that's a Scorsese film, isn't it? Yep. It's a pretty good movie. I don't it's, know it's a it. pretty good movie, but I don't know. I really liked Ray. Yeah, I never saw Ray. It's a it's a really good as as biopics go. It's really good, and Jamie Foxx is very good in the role. All right, I'm gonna say that Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri wins uh, Best Picture. Really? I think, and then I you'll think have so. to see it, right? I know, right? I, I've seen all the Best Pictures the last few years. Um for like eight years in a row or something um and oftentimes it's after them they win best picture too do you have the um an amc in philly that's doing the 24 hours of best picture nominees this weekend i wouldn't be surprised right is philadelphia the sixth largest city in the country like the one by my apartment in washington has it where starting at noon on saturday they're just showing all nine movies I'll, i'll look for it I'll look for it. Philadelphia also has the Philadelphia Flower Show right now, which is like something that screeches the city to a halt. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'll see what I can do. Best Actress is going to be Frances McDermott, I think. Yeah, that definitely seems like the safe bet. Best Actor is going to be Gary Oldman. Because that's a vehicle for a Best Actor, that film. Oh, yeah. I the film is almost entirely a vehicle for a best actor. Um. Oh boy, I feel really unqualified for best supporting actress. So I'm gonna say, who? I'm going to say, Allison Janney. Allison Janney and Laurie Metcalf play the same character, but Allison Janney does it better in a worse movie. Hmm. Which is so, like yeah. the overbearing, hypercritical mom. Yeah. So there you go. Um, I don't know if Sam Rockwell will win. I feel like there's some controversy there. Um, I am going to say Willem Dafoe. When Willem Dafoe was really good. Uh, best director is going to be Guillermo del Toro. He finally gets his uh, Academy Award. Not that he was looking for one, but like, he's a guy who like deserves career recognition. You know. Uh, best original screenplay is going to be Get Out, I think. I would be about that. I think that's where that gets its recognition. I think best adapted screenplay will probably be Call Me By Your Name. As it probably should be. Not to take anything away from Logan or The Disaster Artist. I think I think Blade Runner 2049 wins a lot of the Visual and Audio Academy Awards. I can see that. I can see that. And I think that will probably win the most Academy Awards because of that. Kind of how Mad Max Fury Road like swept 2015 with all its um, visual and audio-based awards. Mad Max Fury Road. Now that's a movie. It was a great movie. Oh, yeah. 
I love that it. was my second favorite movie of 2015. Would you say your favorite was again? I forgot. Uh, oh, oh, Arrival. Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Sorry. What won Best Picture that year? The no, the post came out this year. Um, what was it called? The one with Michael was it Spotlight? Keaton? Yes, that was it. Oh man, really? The, the Catholic Church molestation movie. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, that might be that's that was a good year for movies. 2015. Except for The Revenant. Spotlight was a really, really, really good movie. I think Sicario came out in 2015 too. Oh damn. Yeah, I think 2015 was probably the second movies. This year was better than 2016, but 2015 was up there as well. Yeah, it's been movies have been good le- lately, and it's like a good movies have been good. I guess movies that make money have been the Marvel Cinematic Universe film number X. Except Black Panther was really good. I like Black. It Panther. was. It was. It, it was. It, uh, I said this on the comics pals, but it might be the best. MCU movie made thus far um, it's in the top three Marvel makes so many forgettable movies um, I guess shit on constantly for feeling that way on a comics podcast um, but Black Panther was really good it wasn't perfect There was pro- I had problems with it but um, it's gonna make a huge impact I think um a little, like the huge narrative is how influential and, and important this is in African American communities, and uh, I think it's going to have a large impact in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I I definitely think you're right. If you had told me six years ago that the Black Panther movie would make more money in two weeks than the Justice League movie made, period, I would not have believed you. It tells you how important like buzz and word of mouth are, and Justice League had so much negative press. Yep, um, ugh, Justice League. Let's let's talk about Black Panther some more, just to get that Justice League taste out of our mouths before we go. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a a Best Picture nom for it next year. Like, I don't think it'll win, but I think it's like. If Wonder Woman wasn't nominated for like Best Director or Best Actress, which so many people were saying, Black Panther is not going to get any of that. I think what Black Panther was a better movie than Wonder Woman, personally. It was, but I, 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 Wonder Woman also had like a large crater of impact, and if that didn't get the recognition, I don't think Black Panther will either. I guess we'll see. Next that's year. right. We'll have to save it. That's right. Now it's a cliffhanger. Come back next year for the Oscars Pals episode two. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> oh God. Um, I think that's gonna wrap it up for us though. Um, so if if you want to hear more of Phil's views on movies and stuff, you can find him at. Oh, look at that nice transition. Yeah. Find me at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Uh. Yeah, I'll talk to you, sure. Yeah, I'll talk to you, sure. Don't sound I had to think excited. about it. I had to think about it. I'm always very uh, confrontational about it on the Comics Pals, where I'm like, yeah, message me. It doesn't mean I'll message you back. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, that ex-girlfriend that never talks to you. <laughs> if you want to talk to me anymore about movies slash 
read the things I retweet about movies because I very rarely write my own tweets. Check me out over at Tiger underscore millions on Twitter or find me on Facebook. But don't find me on Facebook. That's lame and weird. Yeah, don't find me on Facebook. Yeah. Um, but catch me outside. Yeah. You can like the Pals Network, the Video Game Pals, and the Comics Pals on Facebook. We do two pretty good podcasts way more frequently than we do this one. And we have the third one, the Riverdale Review. Oh, yeah. has a lot of buzz, too. Yeah. I I was on the Riverdale Review and then kind of forgot it existed. Oops. <laughs> we do a lot of projects over there. Um, if you're listening to this, you probably listen to our podcast as it is. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh Check us out. I'm on the video game pals. Phil's on the comics pals, and never the twain shall meet. No, I know that's the thing that Andy and I have never done a podcast together, and I was extremely excited about this opportunity. On the front of the show, you heard him call me Pete, which is absolutely insane because basically we serve comparable roles where I antagonize Pete on the comics pals, and he antagonizes him on the video game pals, and he somehow still made a massive blunder. Um. I did. I there will never ever be enough sorrow in my heart for my massive blunder. Um, That's like a euphemism, folks. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> he doesn't have a shape of water, Dick. <laughs> I'm gonna go explore the shape of my tears now that I'm sad. Yeah, the shape of the hole in your heart and the shape of, and the shape of the hole in your pants too. Uh yeah, I guess. So thanks for listening. If you're here on this extended outro for the Oscars pals, let us know what you thought. Um let us know what you think's gonna win Oscars or should have won Oscars, or why you think that Black Panther was the worst movie or best movie. If you think Black Panther was the worst movie, like, did you watch Justice League? <laughs> Chances are, if you thought Black Panther was like a worse, like the worst movie or something, uh, you're that type of person that gets upset about black stormtroopers. It's just like, look at the armor, Phil. It's white. God. Yeah. I don't uh, actually think that way. Please don't assume I think that way. Um, I've made it clear in the comics, pals. If you're a shitty white supremacist, fuck off. I don't want your fucking demographics hey. numbers or whatever. I don't think I've made that clear on the video game pals. Maybe I should. Yeah, and I feel like video games have you're more likely to get more that type likely. of audience. Although, I don't know, comics do does also have that kind of audience. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. This is more pronounced in the video game culture. Fucking Gamergate. Ugh. It's about ethics in video game podcasting. Oh god. Oh god. All right, so that's going to be it for us. Thanks again for listening. I'm sorry to whoever has to edit this and try and make a listenable conversation out of the end of this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. Yeah, na, 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 na. Da, 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 da.